This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by the official Star Trek graphic novel collection. In celebration of the 30th anniversary of TNG, get your first three volumes, all next-gen stories, for only $9.95 when you sign up today at eaglemoss.com slash missionlog and use the secret code TNG at checkout. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 250, Parallels. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion, from another timeline. What's the difference? Oh, I'm a half an inch taller than the John Champion from this timeline. Nice. This week, Parallels, the one where Worf wins the Batleff competition. Wait, uh, no, he doesn't. Uh, but he is married. Oh, oh, wait, no, no, he isn't. Well, you'll always have Alexander. Whoops, hold on, hold on. It's the one with lots and lots of enterprises. I've got trivia coming up in a moment, but first... But first, I want to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including Discover Documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Then with that, I turn it over to the trivia master, ladies and gentlemen, looking slightly taller today, Mr. John Champion. I'm feeling good. I'm standing up straight for this version of trivia. Uh, Parallels was written by Brannon Braga, and uh, most recently of Brannon's work, uh, we discussed Phantasms. And uh, in the director's chair, we also have another veteran of TNG. We have Robert Weimer. And most recently of his work, we discussed Interface. And he's got just one more Next Gen episode coming up and then just one turn over at Deep Space Nine. All right, ship names. You know, I love them. We have the shuttlecraft Curie, named, of course, for Marie Curie, who figured out what radiation is. Interestingly, originally... That shuttle was called the Borges in the early draft scripts. Uh, That was for Jorge Luis Borges, who wrote The Garden of Forking Paths. Hmm. Uh Uh, Something thematically related, maybe, to the storyline here of Parallels. (laughs) Yes, Brannon is a clever (laughs) writer. We also have the Argus Array, which we mentioned in TNG before. I believe the first time was in the nth degree when the Enterprise actually went there to try to repair the reactors on board that. And that was, of course, when Barclay hooked up to the holodeck and he had the super intelligence that was making him, well, just incredibly difficult to deal with. But he was the one making the recommendations on how to repair those reactors on board the Argus. And uh, let's talk about where that name came from. So Argus Panoptes is a character in Greek mythology, a giant that was slain by Hermes by Zeus's order. Argus had a hundred eyes. And let me tell you that in some depictions, that looks pretty weird. But it's a great name for a telescope array. So... No doubt. Good on them. Yeah. Um, And it's kind of cool. We have in one of those alternate realities, we have the places 
the Argus array is spying on. So we have Deep Space 5, which is the Star Trek, the motion picture model uh, of the space office complex later flipped upside down and used as regular one. And then just so many other <laughs> space buildings in Star Trek. Um, we have Starbase 47 because ding, 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 ding. Of course, it's number 47. And uh, guess what? It was also Relay Station 47 in uh, your favorite episode, I believe, Aquiel. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and it was actually originally the craft that was used to house those frozen bodies in the neutral zone uh, featuring uh, LQ, Sonny Clemens, uh, Ralph Offenhouse and the insufferable Claire Raymond. So insufferable. Yeah. Uh, we do have a deleted scene for this episode, and really, it's just an extension of the scene of Data explaining the multiverse theory. And just pretty much, if you don't already pick it up from the show and you watch that scene, he kind of goes through it again. He's like, yes, multiple universes, as in everything that could happen actually happening in all these other multiple universes. So it's a little <laughs> you on the head. How How far do you think that goes, though? Mm. Oh, with, with data being pedantic and explaining everything twice? No, but like when you say like multiple universes where everything that might happen actually is happening, is there one where data is just like half a beat slower yeah. in his explanation? <laughs> right. well, I think, I think we'll discuss like, that. Half yeah. a beat faster? Yeah. You think I, so? I think we'll discuss right. exactly what the possibilities of those multiple universes actually are. How many do you think there are? Like seven? I'm going to say 47. <laughs> I'm going to say 47. That's, that's far too many. No, there can't be that. Okay. Many. There All can't right. be. <laughs> 23. I'm stopping at 23. Okay. That's it. We have guest stars. We have, uh, well, actually, we're welcoming back two very familiar faces this week. Uh, Will Wheaton as Wesley Crusher and Patty Yasutake as Dr. Ogawa. So what's cool in this episode is that they really don't make a big deal of it. They're just there. And mm -hmm. they aren't the centerpiece of what's going on in the story. So... You may be asking yourself, hey, as long as we're jumping around in multiple universes and revisiting characters who are no longer regulars, what about Denise Crosby as Tasha Yar? Or Sela, for that matter, because you can. Well, it was definitely considered, but it was felt that they had already explored a story with her, and the producers wisely wanted to avoid comparisons of this episode with yesterday's Enterprise. So... Probably a smart thing to do, but uh, another returning guest star, uh, very prominently featured in this episode, uh, Worf's ball chair. You know, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. They never move. No, no. <laughs> Boy, that's so true. They never move. It's, it's so true. They don't. It's they a constant don't. in that room. The, the mm -hmm. painting moves. There are flowers. There aren't flowers. There's a trophy. The trophy changes. The one thing yeah. that's constant Worf's ball chair. Worf's, Worf's ball chair stays exactly where it is the whole time. Yeah. We do have some additional guest stars. Uh, we have Mark Bromhall as Gull Nador. Now, he's one of those actors who shows up in a lot of places, but usually sort of under the radar. He's been on Babylon 5 and the X-Files. He's been in feature films as well, like uh, Vanilla Sky. And hey, wouldn't you know it, his only other Trek appearance was as a Vulcan in J.J. Abrams' 2009 Star Trek film. And I mentioned Gull Nador because uh, he should not be confused with the unnamed Cardassian helmsman played by Kevin Grover. Kevin will show up on more Trek incarnations, usually as an alien. 
and usually as a Cardassian. Man, Klingons. Even their trophies are dangerous. Prologue. Here comes Worf in the shuttle Curie, and he's been having a good day, having just won the Batleff competition on Forkus 3. He's got the trophy to prove it, and he leaves himself a little personal log to commemorate the occasion. Back home on the Enterprise, he's getting the rundown on a mission to the Argus Array where they'll have to figure out why it stopped transmitting. He's even less excited about the fact that it's his birthday, and has it in mind that Riker might be leading him back to his quarters for a surprise party. No way! Riker hates surprise parties, except, nope, that was a lie. This totally is a surprise party. Commence the merriment. Act 1. Singing, candles, cake, you know the drill. Everybody is there, except for Picard, who had urgent business on the bridge. Beverly brought a chocolate cake. Data brought an expressionist painting of his depiction of the Battle of Haros. When Jordy comes in, Worf gets a little dizzy. Maybe he's just not feeling the party, you know? Troy has a present from Alexander who couldn't be there either because, yeah, he's totally always there. Just this time he was visiting the Rizhenkos. It's the plaster cast of his forehead ridges. Finally, Beverly serves up the yellow cake. Hey, wait, wasn't that a chocolate cake? Weird. So then Picard asks Worf, how old are you? And double weird because Picard wasn't supposed to be there at all. Arriving at the Argus Array... Things look okay, but its signal has been directed somewhere it shouldn't, and Riker suggests an away team to figure out why. With a little time to kill, Worf finds Deanna and Tin Forward, and he wants to talk to her about Alexander, because remember that Alexander is totally someone who exists on this ship from time to time. Worf likes that Deanna has always looked out for the kid. Someone had to. And he wants her to be so chim, which is Klingon for godmother, and it makes Deanna Worf's kinda stepsister? Great, says Deanna, and that means Waxana will now be Worf's stepmother. Before he can let out a warrior's scream, Worf is called to engineering. Data has pulled the imaging logs from the Argus array, and it looks like someone has pointed the array to spy on places where Starfleet designs its ships. More data reveals that a Cardassian ship has been in the vicinity. Worf is ready to investigate, but when Geordi hands him a pad from across the table, Worf has another dizzy spell. And then Geordi isn't across the table now, but rather next to Worf. Maybe it's time for a trip to sickbay. Dr. Crusher says he should get some rest, and that she can treat his concussion, but Worf says he has no concussion. You sure? asks the doctor. Because this morning, Concussion Wharf came in for treatment after suffering a blow in the Batleth tournament. Uh, wait just a second, Doctor. Wharf insists he won that competition, and he'll show her the trophy. When they go to his quarters, what was a sphere with metal spikes is now very plain, no spikes, and the Klingon inscription reads a very dishonorable ninth place. Act 2. Worf insists this isn't right and calls up his log entry from the other day. But there's Worf looking right back at him and talking about coming in ninth place. Beverly tells him to get some rest and get back to his regular routine. 
On the bridge, Data asks Worf if he has completed the metallurgical scan of the array, something Worf doesn't remember Data asking him. Then a Cardassian ship approaches, and the commander has a short conversation with Picard. It's something along the lines of, hey, I hope you're not spying. Okay, we'll leave you alone, but no spying. Worf says that ship is the same one they saw earlier in the array's imaging logs, the one basically turning the array into a spy satellite. But Picard has no idea what logs he's talking about, and neither does Riker, and neither does Data. In his quarters, Worf is frustrated that Dr. Crusher sees this as more memory loss, but he insists that's not the case. Deanna is trying to hear him out when Geordi comes in with the news that they re-examined the logs and found nothing at all. Funny, around that time, Worf has another dizzy spell, and when he regains his footing, that painting that Data gave him is on a different wall than before. And then Deanna's outfit changes, and then the painting is something else entirely, and then Worf finds himself on the bridge, which doesn't quite look right either. There's more stuff a weird alarm, and Picard is in the middle of a command telling Worf now as a Cardassian ship closes in. Act 3, shields! That was the command, shields! But Worf is looking at his control panel like he has no idea what he's doing. Riker jumps in to fire photon torpedoes. The fight keeps getting worse until the Enterprise has to retreat, and the Cardassians destroy the Argus array. Worf says he must have had another memory loss, but Riker and Picard have no idea what he's talking about. Going off to his quarters again and relieved of duty, Worf finds things a little different, like the flower arrangement on his table and his personal logs have no record of an entry made on the shuttle Curie. There is a log he had left about being unable to attend the Batleth tournament, though. He doesn't have much time to think it through when Deanna comes in. She's concerned, and she's very familiar, making herself right at home, sitting down on the bed. It all makes Worf very uneasy, especially as Deanna starts to give him a shoulder rub. He is barely tolerating that, and he leaps away, but she gives him a little kiss. This is pretty odd behavior for a ship counselor, but not, as she says, for his wife. Wow, Worf did not see that coming. And Deanna doesn't understand why he doesn't remember being married to her. It's like the last three years of their romance didn't exist. Except to Worf, the past three years did exist, just not with Deanna as his wife. Worf asked Data for some help. According to the blue-eyed android, Worf and Deanna have been married for a little over two years, and prior to that, they fell in love after he had broken his spine. Also, why are Data's eyes blue? Worf tries to think back to the moments he was dizzy, and events seemed like they were out of continuity. There was the time Dr. Crusher told him he had a concussion when he didn't, the time Geordi and Data seemed to switch positions in engineering, even the time at his birthday party when the type of cake changed and Picard wasn't supposed to be there, but he was. The only common element to all of these is Geordi. He was there in all of these places when Worf noticed things changing. So, time to go see Geordi. He's been in sickbay since the battle with the Cardassians. When they arrive, Dr. Ogawa gives Worf the bad news. Geordi 
is dead. Act 4. Data begins an analysis. There's nothing odd about Jordy's corpse on the examination table except, well, geez, it's Jordy and he's dead now. It must have been something else setting off Worf. Data tries Jordy's visor by hooking it up to a diagnostic tool and, whoa, Worf starts to pass out again. But Dr. Crusher, yeah, I said Crusher now, not Ogawa, catches him. Worf's uniform is now red. He's the first officer, and even his comm badge looks different. He's still married to Deanna, though, so at least he's got that going for him. Data's scanning reveals a bit more, though. In the ready room, Captain Riker, what? Gets a lesson from Data about how Worf's quantum signature doesn't match anything else in their universe. Everything in the universe is sort of humming along on the same quantum level except Worf, like he doesn't belong there. Riker mentions that he knows for a fact that Worf did not go to a Batleth tournament, but Worf knows for a fact he did. They'll try to backtrack his supposed route and see if anything reveals itself that way. Oh yeah, and what about Picard? According to Riker, he was killed somewhere around the beginning of Season 4. Wesley Crusher is a tactical, and the Enterprise arrives at a place where there is a fissure in the space-time continuum. According to Data, it's a fixed point where multiple quantum realities seem to intersect, invisible except for using a warp field to illuminate it. And there's the ionic trace of a shuttle lingering there, just like the one Worf claims he used. So what actually happened? Worf's shuttle tripped this quantum flux, opening up the possibility for all these quantum realities to overlap. It also happens that Geordi's visor pushes Worf into these different realities whenever it's nearby because... because visor science reasons. Now that they know all these realities exist, and Worf's quantum state means he doesn't belong there, how do they get him back? Wesley, in this reality, is part of the crew, and suffering from an unfortunate hairstyle, he suggests scanning the fissure and finding the right signature and somehow getting him back. Sure. Okay, well, it's all we've got to work with right now. Great news, right? Worf can go back home to the universe where he belongs. Wonderful news, except for Deanna, who, in this reality, is still married to Worf. They have kids together. Two toddlers. But she knows nothing about Alexander. If this Worf leaves, her Worf still might not come back. She's having trouble with the idea that there's a reality where Worf never loved her. But at least this Worf, being ever the romantic, says he always thought of her as a friend, but he's not opposed to the idea. The scan is ongoing, but then a Bajoran ship shows up and starts firing on the Enterprise. This destabilizes the subspace pulse they were using to scan the fissure, and look, the long and short of it is that all these quantum realities start occurring right here, right now. Enterprise after Enterprise suddenly appear, filling nearly all visible space. Act 5. Did I mention it was a lot of Enterprises? Because it's literally all the Enterprises. Like enough to fill the sector in a few days. This Enterprise is picking up 285,000 hails from the other ships. Data tries to pinpoint which ship Worf belongs to, and if they can send him back in a shuttle, he emits a broad-spectrum warp field, then the fissure should close and all those other ships go back to their own quantum reality. Well, hey, it looks good on paper anyway. 
Easy enough, Captain Riker calls all the other ships, saying they're looking for a particular quantum signature. After a moment, they hear from the right one, Hey, it's Picard! And they'll send over the shuttle Curie, the one from Worf's reality. Cool? Cool. Everything is set up to go, that warp field is set up to go, and Worf should get back home. He says an emotional goodbye to the Deanna of this reality to whom he is married, and oh, look at that, a kiss. Guess he's adapting better than he thought he would. As the shuttle heads toward the fissure, one of the Enterprises fires at it, and on screen it's Riker, another Riker, a disheveled, bearded Riker, also in command of an Enterprise. He begs the other Riker to not fix this. Where he comes from, the Federation is gone. The Borg have taken over everything. Too bad, though. As they continue firing on the shuttle, the Enterprise that Worf just left opens fire and, oops, destroys that Enterprise, which was already heavily damaged. With a clear path, Worf heads to the fissure. The reverse warp field initiates and brings with it some impressive special effects of multiple Worfs. He's back back in his own universe, winner of that Batleth tournament, then back on his own Enterprise, the one we all know and love. Worf hesitates a moment to enter his quarters, knowing full well there was a surprise party for him in one reality, but surprise, no party in this one, just Deanna? She's not married to him, though, just visiting to take care of Alexander's pet. She's got a gift for him, and assumes he'd rather be on his own. On her way out, Worf stops her and asks if she'd like to join him for dinner. Pleased, but a little surprised herself, she agrees, and Worf orders something from the replicator. Champagne. The end. Thinking about trophies for ninth place? Oh, okay, I... Yeah, yeah, we just can, can we just address this right away because I think we have to. Yeah, um, I I don't think it exists. Uh, <laughs> first of all, there's there's no honor in that. Yeah. Um, second of all, anything below I'm gonna say second place is probably in pieces. I'm thinking if you're like so, you're probably required by Klingon law mm-hmm. to to have whatever trophy you win displayed prominently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, if yeah. you're ninth place, everybody's going to know. Yeah, right. <laughs> Everybody has to know because because yeah. to to hide your shame would be without honor, huh? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. But to come in ninth place is seriously without honor too. Yeah, I just I just couldn't believe they made a trophy for it unless it really is you know sort of like the ribbons of shame idea. It's like, yeah, no, you you put that on your mantle. You show everybody when they come over. Yeah, I won ninth place. Yeah. Out of how many? Ten, all right? Uh. (laughs) Yeah. And I have the arms of uh, the guy who came in tenth place hanging above my trophy for ninth place. (laughs) What did he say? What did he say in his personal log? Some people suffered, wasn't lacerations, it was like disfigurement or something. Oh, they were maimed. Maimed, maimed. right. Some were maimed, but I was victorious. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> oh, that's no good. Uh, it just, look, a Batleth competition is neither something that I want to see nor participate in, mm. ever. This is not, that, that this sounds like bad news. But but I can tell you this, if I won, I would be champion standing. 
And in fact, that's what I'll do right after we record this show. I will be uh, right now. You are champion standing, mister. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. well, right now I'm champion sitting. And then uh, then I'll be champion standing. Um, Oh, and and by the way, uh, a Klingon fresh from a bat left competition is the last person I would throw a surprise party for. (laughs) I did actually think it's amazing. Nobody died. Yeah, I, I would think he'd be a little trigger happy, a little on edge. And he's just ready to throw down. Also, uh, chief of security, but we're throwing him a surprise party, so just go in. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. yeah don't worry. His place isn't booby-trapped. Yeah. Right, no doubt. Yeah, and it probably doesn't have anything sensitive there. No. Go on in. Go on in. Not at all. Yeah. Well, we learned last week that there is no medical confidentiality. That's true. Uh, and this week we learned that uh, you just walk into anybody's quarters. No big yeah, deal. well, if you're throwing him a surprise party. Yes. There's got to yes. be a good reason, John. I mean, you can't just yeah. walk in. <laughs> right. Right. Um, we have a lot of mentions of Alexander here. Really nice. And and we never see him. As it should be. Oh. Sorry. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon? Really? <laughs> um, so uh, let's say for a moment there was that kind of awkward conversation where Worf is asking Data about his relationship in that reality with mm-hmm. Deanna. It was like, oh, so what happened? So we, we met and uh, we fell in love. And then uh, uh, Worf asked Riker for sort of formal permission to marry Deanna. You know, kind of interesting there. To marry her or to pursue her? To, to, uh, it sounded like right before the marriage. Oh, see, I thought it was so, the other way, but whichever. Yeah, yes, okay. he did. Yeah. 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 Um, so, and then he says, you know, uh, and then did, did we, basically, did we couple after that? And Data's like, well, I'm not really sure, but I could find out for you. <laughs> and I thought, well, okay, Data being sort of the innocent character that he is, I'm, I'm sure that he would go right. find out. But really, how would that investigation go? That that just sounds really not like a good investigation for Data to go through on any account. Well, as you say, account. he is innocent, so he'd probably just walk up and ask Troy. So do you remember the first time you guys did it? Exactly when was that? Yeah, yeah and she, she might say she doesn't really know and it's none of his business. And Data's like, okay, I'll, I'll just look at some of these security footage, maybe floating around the Enterprise. I'll, I'll figure all of this out. Oh. I actually like the idea of him going and saying, when exactly was that? Asking for a friend. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. It's a fun idea, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Uh, got a question. Um, since when does Geordi's visor use a subspace field pulse? And right also, now. why yeah. does Geordi's visor use a subspace field pulse? <laughs> and also, remember all those times that something happened in engineering and nobody knew exactly why? Yeah. Do you think it could be that the chief engineer was sticking his head near the warp core and, like, the thing he was using to see emitted a subspace field pulse? Oh, bad news all around. You'd think, yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. Man, it's weird. Something happened with the transporter again. Well, who was there? Mm-hmm. Hey, Barkley. Oh, and and Jordy. And Jordy. Well, yeah. we know it wasn't Jordy because he's Jordy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be that thing on his face, though, because it's emitting a subspace field pulse. Oof. Uh, I'm amused that all the enterprises are hailing each other at the at the end of the show, just constantly. Two hundred eighty five thousand to me, that is the ultimate reply all situation. Yeah, that's true. Everyone just needs to shut up and stop replying. Uh, yes, although two hundred eighty five thousand. I mean, first of all, were there that many that quickly, or was it really just echoing all around? But the other thing is, 
at least one of those enterprises wasn't doing that because you know the one with our Captain Picard. Mm-hmm. He's not immediately going to get someplace else and go, ah, right? <laughs> <laughs> which, which is pretty much what the other 284,999 were doing, it seems. Right, right. Yeah. But, but can you imagine that all those other hundred, hundreds of thousands, and, and they keep coming in exponentially, as he said, they're all just like, no, listen to me. No, no, listen to me. <laughs> no, listen to me. Yeah, it pretty much does have to be like a hail anybody around, right? Because there's no way that all 285,000 were hailing that one enterprise. No, but it's a hails going around, but then everybody is saying, take me off this list, take me off this list, take me off this list. (laughs) That's what's happening. Yeah. (laughs) And just think, there is at least one other quantum reality where sending Worf back didn't work. Mm-hmm. And, and and in that or multiple of those realities, they're just full of enterprises at this point. They just keep coming and keep coming until they fill the sector. Maybe maybe even the whole quadrant, maybe even the whole galaxy. Eventually, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Yeah. Uh, I did like seeing Battle Damage Riker begging to not go back. At this, I, I don't know why that scene is so short, but it really amuses me. Did you notice Worf in the background? I did. I like, did. Just like running around, working on that panel, like he's right. accomplishing something. Like yeah. he's holding the ship together himself. Yes. Which, you know, in fairness, he may have been because it wasn't long after that that uh, no more ship. Yeah. They might have been the only two on board. You never yeah. Know. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, we had a, a couple of listeners who wrote in prior to our recording this episode. Joe uh, poses a very good question. What do you call a bunch of wharfs? Are, are they wharves? Or is it singular like singular like moose? Hmm. Do you just do you just say wharf? It was a room full of wharf. Yeah, I'm going with wharves. Wharves. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. We're calling it here. And uh, our buddy Dan over at Trek Geeks, Dan Davidson. This is kind of cool because I, I, I think this is leading into what's really fun about the episode. He said, while watching this episode with my wife tonight during one of Worf's dimensional shifts, we both noticed that Data's eyes were blue. I thought perhaps there was some kind of production error, but then later during another shift, his eyes were back to yellow. I thought it was an amazing, subtle change to Worf's surroundings during his shifts and wanted to see what you thought. It was also a great excuse to say hi and tell you how awesome you both are. Well, actually, I didn't. I didn't intend to read that part, but that's that's really kind. That's oh. well, thank you, Dad. Yeah, I just, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, I, we, we could cut that part out, you know. We could. We could. <laughs> Do you want to not though? Someday when you're feeling down, you'll be like, "Oh, I'll listen to episode 250 again." Because oh, okay, that's a good point. Yeah, because Dan really point. Yeah. Dan said something nice about me that I actually then repeated to everybody. Oh, how how nice! Right, well, yeah. we're saying something nice about Dan, and well, not so much Bill. Um, <laughs> As it should. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but, but he, he's right. This, and I think we'll talk about this as we wrap up the show. But that level of attention to detail, there are the things that are obvious. Mm-hmm. And the further you get into the show, the things about the combat changing and uh, the color of Wars uniform. Obviously, we're into it at that point, And we're in on the joke. We're in on what's happening. Right. The little subtle things like that. Absolutely brilliant. And it does leave you guessing through at least half the show, which yeah. is uh, a, a tough thing to do for a show like this. I did. I like the uh, I like the color shifts. I like Data's blue eyes. I like Worf's red outfit. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot more red and I guess stainless steel on the bridge. 
you know. Oh, and at one point they had kind of those plexi panels under the horseshoe and then just a giant tactical screen behind it. Yeah, which actually seemed yeah. to be not the best place for that. Nope. Because how do you get back to the science? You got to walk around. That's too much. Yep. <laughs> um, the really cool thing, though, is uh, you're saying, oh, it's a, these very subtle changes. Also, you could almost give continuity the week off. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> right. Wasn't right. that plant turned the other way earlier? Oh, it's it's an alternate universe thing. Don't worry about it. Yep. You, are, sure. you, are you still here? Really? Because I told you, you could yeah, just just go. We'll be fine. Leave it. Yeah. Um, hey, you asked me earlier on what I thought about, you know, some other alternate endings. And I was really working on it because I love the Twilight Zone feel of this show. Mm-hmm. And I thought, cool, that I, I, I wanted to rack my brain and come up with some other creepy Twilight Zone style endings. So, so see what you think. Okay. Worf gets back to the Enterprise and everything is exactly the same, except Data ends every sentence with rock and roll, buddy. How about that? I think that's a good one. That's a good one. Okay. Nice. And then okay. Uh, here's another one. All right. Worf gets back to the Enterprise and everything is exactly the same, except the replicators can only make Hummel figurines. Okay. So can it's we, like, we, you know. Can we change it to precious moments? You could. You okay. could. I, either way, either way, similar thing. He goes to the replicator and he's like, I'll have some water. And then it replicates the thing and he's like, I wanted water, but I got this little statue of a boy next to a well. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's close, right? Um, and then the last one I thought would be really creepy and weird. Uh, Worf gets back to the Enterprise and everything is exactly the same, except Alexander is there and he has a healthy and attentive relationship with his father. You've taken suspension of disbelief too far. This is a message to Bill of Track Geeks. You are a thoughtful and caring individual with much to offer this universe and any other parallel universe you may encounter. Also, I kind of have a crush on you. Please do not tell anyone. moment we'll pick apart the meaty morsels of this week's episode but before we do that a word from eagle moss and the official star trek graphic novel collection you've heard us talk about these books before and how they bring you old stories that you know and love as well as new stories that you've never read Uh, characters that you know in new situations continuing missions about which you have only dreamt And you know as well the big names behind these stories. You got your Harlan Ellisons, your DC Fontanas, your Brennan Bragas, and and, and tons of other writers that you've heard of. Tons of other writers that have brought you great Star Trek stories before. What you don't know is about the new offer. This is great. In celebration of the 30th anniversary of Star Trek The Next Generation, Eagle Moss is offering a special deal to fans of Mission Log. Start your collection with not one... Not two, but three Star Trek graphic novels featuring Next Generation-based stories for only $9.95, plus free shipping. Just go to eaglemoss.com slash missionlog and use the secret code, don't tell anybody, secret code TNG at checkout. Now, the three books in this offer are Issue 1, Countdown, Issue 3, Hive, and Issue 5, The Space Between, do need to let you know this offer is valid for a limited time and sadly only for U.S. customers. 
And look, it's the 30th anniversary of NextGen. What better way to celebrate with this exclusive offer from Eagle Moss? Three big stories, one small price, Countdown, Hive, and The Space Between, all for $9.95 when you use the secret code TNG at checkout at www.eaglemoss.com slash mission log. And as always, a huge thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. All right. So for the discussion, I have very little. I, I think that's fair. I really do. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I mean, really very little. Yeah. It's like it's like an action tapestry. Mm. That's pretty much it. Well, well, that's a good. First of all, it's a good band name. Action Tapestry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, I don't know whose cover band that is, but I'll think of it by the end mm. of the show. It's a great Sputnik, I think. Yeah. No, no really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. First of all, Sig Sig Sputnik. I don't know what Sigway Sigway okay, is, well. but yeah. The other thing is, um, yeah, Action Tapestry for Sig Sig Sputnik. Sure. Okay. This is what we call padding, by the way. I'm padding because I got nothing here. Action tapestry is the only thing I could think. And, but even then, it's not exactly that because in tapestry, and for people that don't remember, tapestry is the one where you know, Q basically goads Jean-Luc Picard for like 15 minutes into saying, well, I guess I wish that part was different. Mm-hmm. And then Q's like, aha, and he makes Picard live his life as like this milk toast individual that he would have been, you know, had things changed exactly the way Picard never really wanted them to change, except he said, I guess that would be okay just to get Q to shut up, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So this is kind of like that, but different in that Worf gets to see several different ways that things could change a tiny bit. But, of course, the more things change just a tiny bit, it becomes a much bigger change until he basically sort of his eyes are open to the idea. Worf on some enterprise, his eyes open. <laughs> nice. His eyes are open to the idea that he uh, that he and Deanna actually could have a thing. Although, really, the basis of any like long-term romance is... Eh, I guess I wouldn't be opposed to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what every woman wants to hear. Yes. And every man for that matter, too. Yes. Well, he's leaving, though. That's the thing. So like he tells her, like, you know, yeah, you know, I never really considered it, but eh, it wouldn't be bad, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. got to go. Um, I mean, it, it's a bit different than Tapestry, obviously, because he does get to see an alternate reality where things actually go well. He and Deanna get married, and they have a couple of kids. And so then when he comes back to this universe, then he knows, like, you know, well, so that's one way I could go. All right. That might not Mm -hmm. be bad. As opposed to, of course, you know, Picard was much more um, uh, Christmas Carol. It's a wonderful life. Like, you know, see what your life could have been, how Mm -hmm. terrible things would be if you hadn't been exactly the way you were. Uh, Worf, on the other hand, gets to, you know, gets to look down, well, one road. I guess he doesn't really get to look down all roads because he hasn't lived past this moment. Right. But he gets to see, you know, and there's not even really a choice for him, though. So, I mean, it's only kind of tapestry. Yeah. Well, no, I I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Picard actually gets to learn something and, and sort of, well, maybe in the respect that Picard gets to sort of appreciate the differences that could have been in his life. Uh, Worf gets to, to kind of appreciate like, Oh, look, there, there's all these other things that could have been. Uh, hopefully I can appreciate what I actually have in my reality. If we're for the introspective type, then, then maybe, maybe there's well, something to be gained from it for him. He's apparently introspective enough to consider the possibility of something with Deanna going forward, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. at the end of this episode, he's not like, yeah, it was totally weird. We were married. Anyway, good night. 
You know, he's like, <laughs> actually, well, apparently we were happy, or at least some version of me was happy in this. And so maybe that is something I can pursue. Or maybe yeah. he liked the part where there was no Alexander. Oh, yeah, there you go. I think I think that might be really what, uh, what I don't think it really I don't think it really works that way. But, you know, he might be willing to give it a try. Yeah. Never know. Um, yeah, I'm kind of on the same page with you here. I don't have a ton of there's not stuff here to really chew on to to, to say uh, was there a right or a wrong ethical decision um I, I mean there's something fun here that in an existential way there's this interesting idea uh asking you know what part of our own actions actually chart our lives and what is random chance or influenced by other people and how big are the repercussions that that come from those you know, it was interesting to me how in this model that we explore in this episode of Star Trek that we, we kind of all accept this idea of like, oh, sure, well, multiple quantum realities. That, that's just how it works. And and those different realities spring up because of the different decisions that people make, according to data, you know, our decisions make those realities. And I thought, well, uh, what if, say, a dog makes a different decision? What if a what if a horda? makes a different decision do we just have like whole other universes operating on different quantum levels because of the one thing that happens somewhere see that's a really weird idea i missed data saying that but you have to discount it right i mean that's just a mm -hmm. way to make that's just a way to make intelligence feel good about the fact that it's intelligent Yep. I mean, yep. it, 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 the universes aren't different because we make different decisions. They're just different states that each universe exists in. And in mm -hmm. one of them, I made this one decision. This other one, I made this other decision. It's not like, I mean, it, but then you actually get into a question of free will. Like, yeah, did right, I actually yeah, make a decision? Yeah. Or if, if everything that could possibly happen has happened and does exist on some other plane, then as much as I think I make a decision... I mean, I was powerless against it. There, there's no way I couldn't have made that decision in that universe as opposed to this one, as opposed to the one before it, all the way up to the 23 that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, all 23. That's it. All 23. You, you that's hit exhausting. the ceiling with the 23. I yeah. know, man. It's, it's, I, I, don't think, I, don't think, I don't think there are higher numbers of universes possible than that. Mm -mm. Nope, nope. Um, and I do, I, there's one other thing here that I love, and it's the, the mind bleepery, as mm -hmm. you and I have said before on our show. Um, and I've had some really interesting online conversations with, uh, uh, well, more than a handful of our listeners, including uh, Steve, Steve Sheridan. Hey, Steve, about how easy it is to manipulate memory. That's just a, a cool thing to me. Um, in Act One, when Worf is presented with evidence that he came in ninth place when he thought he had won, and Beverly is standing there saying, you're confused, get some sleep. Mm -hmm. So think about how easy a little thing, and that's not a, that's not a little thing to Worf, but it's a little thing to Beverly in that reality. It's a little thing to everybody else in that reality. Think about how easy little things like that in your life w would be easy to swallow, you know? It, 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 this uh, one of the memory exercises or, or experiments that I've been talking to uh, Steve and some other listeners about one time was this idea that some researchers could show a photo of an event that people had attended 
mm-hmm. but change the photo just a little bit and say, okay, well, this event uh, was empty and there weren't many people there and it was very peaceful and quiet. Or you Photoshop in a bunch of people, make it look kind of crazy and chaotic. And then just depending on those test groups, people who were actually at that event, they would recall it completely differently because they had been shown some doctored evidence of what it was. And Worf, you know, let's say Worf had only ever stayed in that reality. Then he could maybe be manipulated to accept like, oh, man, I kept thinking that I won that Batlift guy. No, Worf, that was 20 years ago. You definitely did not win that. Look, look at the trophy. It says ninth place. Oh, but I swear it feels so real. Nope, nope. It didn't happen. You weren't there. And eventually he's just got to maybe come to terms with that, that that's what actually happened and make his own memory change to fit the evidence. I will say there's there's one thing I like about that possibility. Mm-hmm. It's Worf and Picard sitting in 10 forward one night and Worf's like, seriously, I just I, I totally thought I'd won. And Picard's like, listen, I took a 40 minute nap one time, woke up, knew how to play the float. All right. <laughs> With all of the wharves back in their proper universes, we think it is time to see what we can learn from parallels. So kind of as far as I know, we've only got one reality to deal with. Hmm. And uh, and this is it. Just a couple of guys talking about Star Trek every week. That's that, that's our reality. <laughs> and, and the reality is that when we get to this point in the show, we've got to wrap it up. Mm-hmm. And, and we do that by asking a few questions. We ask uh, whether the show holds up. Uh, what are the messages, and then uh, whether or not those hold up as well. So in the traditional order that we follow in this reality, I'll ask you, does the episode hold up? I'm going to say yeah. And uh, with a caveat, I tend to like the episodes that give us something really, like, you know, really cool to chew on or something, you know, like really big to think about. And what's weird is, mm-hmm. I mean, we actually got into like a multiple universes free will kind of uh, question mm-hmm. in the in in the last segment, except that's not really what this episode's about. I mean, I think this episode is about the mind blapery. And so... What I end up here with is an episode with which I can just have fun. Yeah. People were yeah. like, you should just have fun with I Mud. And we were like, yeah, but it's saying some horrible things about, you know, women and people. And, you know, <laughs> that was <laughs> treating people tra- like property. Exactly. Yeah. Well, no, that was that was uh, Mud's women. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah no, yeah, this yeah. was just, yeah. you know, oh, he hates his wife. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to leave him funny. to the person he hates. <laughs> yeah. And people can never be happy. <laughs> mm. So, you know, I, I had a few problems with that. Uh, this episode, on the other hand, is just a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun mind bleepery. Um, mm-hmm. All the wharves on the shuttle <laughs> is a bit dumb, I think. Yep. Um, yep. And all the enterprises propping up with not 
you know, one of them hitting another one or turning up in the exact same space is kind of goofy <laughs> as well. I think the uh, the anomaly sort of runs on sort of like the Tesla model, you know, where it starts mm-hmm. to put you, not like the Tesla coil, but like the Tesla car, where it starts right. to put you someplace and it's like, oh, no, 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 you're too close to the other enterprise. Hang on. Okay. Now you're good. <laughs> yeah. Some of that stuff is goofy if you think about it, but yeah, don't think about it. I mean, we've already suspended a lot of disbelief in this episode, so those things are honestly forgivable. Yeah. This is a really fun episode, I think. It is like a living spot the difference picture, right? With Star mm-hmm. Trek instead of those, you know, illustrations from Highlights magazine or something. So, I mean, yep. this is an episode with which I can just have fun. Seeing Data's blue eyes, seeing the the different com badges, seeing Wesley in a in a like a real position of and not authority, but I mean you know not the goofy little kid, not the guy who's like trailing off after the traveler. I mean just like this, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it was cool. It was yeah. I I I say this episode works as long as you're not looking for incredible depth because I mean the cool thing is I don't feel like this episode was trying to give us incredible depth either. It's just like hey here's a neat story and um, you know now we've introduced the possibility of a romantic relationship with Troy which is odd Mm. and we didn't see coming the first time Um, but we'll see how that goes I, I, yeah, I, I think the episode holds up. What about you? I, I agree with all of that. And, and by the way, uh, you mentioned the the spot, the differencing, but with Star Trek, you, you've seen that. I think it's from a coloring book from the seventies. The what's wrong with this picture? That is Star Trek. They're they're on the bridge, and it's like. Um, you know, Sulu's got a got a flipper on, and somebody's wearing a cowboy hat, and you know, it's. I, I, I kind of yeah. wish they'd maybe done that with this one. I, I don't know, maybe they could have. Um, yeah, this is a great episode for continuity nerds. Um, I, I'm usually the guy who misses movie mistakes uh, when it's an unintended thing hmm. uh, the first time around. You know, because I'm, I'm usually not paying attention to those little details. I'm paying attention to the acting, to the story, whatever. Um, but this is a fun episode because you're paying attention to those things. What are the little changes that crop up? And and that's, yeah, it's like a game. Mm-hmm. Um you know, at its worst, what you could say is that it maybe feels like a retread of yesterday's Enterprise or even frame of mind. Uh, not because they're the same, but just the idea of something's wrong and a character has got to figure out why it's wrong and then make it right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, OK. Um, or you could nitpick that it's just a lot of scenes of Worf being in weird places, but... But it works. It actually builds tension, like I said, through a good half the episode to kind of get over the hump and realize how they're going to resolve it. And they keep building it right up through the end as things get more intense, like uh, disheveled Riker and ships shooting at each other. It's it's all good stuff. They put the action in the right places. It made sense. So even those things you can nitpick, it's totally okay. Mm-hmm. Look, everybody is on their game here in this episode. It really works. And it's really entertaining. So um, I had quite a good time watching this. Um, a, a little weird to write a recap for this. Sure. Uh, because normally we would just like throw out a lot of extraneous stuff or combine scenes that really can just go together. And in this, you can't do that because each scene is practically taking place in its own world. Um, but, it, you know, my, my hat is off to the writers who wrote this and wrote in those changes to make it this 
fun puzzle to pick apart. Um, all right, so so it's a game, it's a puzzle. Are there messages here? Well, I mean, you certainly could say, I guess you could say, I mean, here's the problem. We don't know how things are going to end. And, of course, we do know. But as this happened, we did not know how things were going to end with Worf and Deanna. So, I mean, the mm-hmm. idea of being open to new possibilities, the idea of being open to ideas that you hadn't been open to before, I guess you could say that's one message. The only problem is, I mean, Worf sees the finish line, right? He knows this mm-hmm. goes well. That they're They're married. They have kids. So, I mean, it's not quite like, oh, I'm going to take a risk because I never really thought of that before, but it might be risky, but it might be great. I mean, he pretty much knows how it could end anyway. I mean, it's not just a it's not just a limitless sea of possibilities. It's I mean, he's he's he knows how it could go. So maybe be open to new possibilities. On the other hand, maybe that's I mean, this one also provides kind of a cheat because, I mean, he does know how it's going to go again, sort of the reverse of tapestry. Where, you know, Jean-Luc mm-hmm. sees, oh, if I change things, th- they could go miserably. Whereas mm-hmm. Worf is like, oh, if I change things, <laughs> I, I, I <clears throat> might have a, an interesting time or two. Um, if Worf goes back through the fissure in his original shuttle yeah. and emits a wide beam pulse, uh, that should shield the fi- uh, seal the fissure. Excuse me. Also, all the other enterprises will return to their time. So I think the other message here is the next time the horses get out of the barn... Go ahead and close the door, because in theory, they should just be back in the barn as soon as you close the door that they walk. <laughs> wow. Because that was the other yeah. thing. And he's like, and yeah. Riker's like, so what happens to all the Enterprises we have here? And Data's like, uh, in theory, they'll just be gone magically, because that really is kind of, that <laughs> kind of is what happened. So maybe closing the, closing the barn door after the horses get out, unless you've also got pigs in there, in which case, go ahead and close the door anyway, because, you know, <laughs> or sheep. Yeah, yeah. You, you you get to the end of this episode, and it's just a lot of like, um, well, how are we going to fix this problem? Well, we're just it, you know we're just going to fix it is what we're going to do. Yeah, and, right. uh, cool. And everything will resolve itself. Well, yeah, I mean because we're going to fix it, right? Yeah. I, okay. You know, I really wish though. I really wish you'd said so. In a deleted scene, all the wharves are hanging on the shuttle, and one's like, "Yeah, I got seventh. <laughs> I got yeah. second, which is not bad, but you know it's not. Yeah, it's not champion standing. Not champion standing. Um, Other messages, sir. Yeah, I mean, uh, I certainly learned that uh, all of our alternate selves are somewhere else in the universe or the multiverse, either doing something really cool or they're dead. <laughs> uh, so you should probably do something really cool too. Oh, um, that's just nice. To, just to catch up. Yeah. 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 Just, just do something cool because there's already you out there doing that cool thing. Um, I would also say uh, that, uh, you know, the grass is definitely not greener. Um, our wharf, our enterprise has got it pretty good compared to every other reality we encounter. Um, well, almost well, every other reality we encounter. Again, there, there are some problems in some of these other realities and some of them but some of them are cherry if he'd kept going he might have been captain of the enterprise oh he might have been but he might have been captain of the enterprise when they were like getting chased around the galaxy by the borg constantly and <laughs> you know killing off his friends one by one on the enterprise that is possible so. yes we could also be captain of the enterprise on the one where they like um where the edo won and every planet now is like these perfectly tanned and toned jogging people who all they want to do is mess around. 
Oh, oh, okay. That, yes. I'll go with that reality as long as I don't end up in the reality where there's a uh, a floating head and whimsical mud baths. Oh, man. Oh, on every planet. Uh. Mm-hmm. You just, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I just proposed that. Yeah, yep. that's kind of, uh, man. And we got like 21 more realities to consider. Mm. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Roddenberry's into a lot of stuff, including a podcast, or 23, or 3. Check out this show, check out Women at Warp, and check out Priority One at podcast.roddenberry.com. If you'd like to help support this show, that would be awesome. Patreon.com slash Mission Log is the place to do that. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That is Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, The Pegasus. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Yeah, that's kind of, uh, man, and we got like 21 more realities to consider. Mm. Mission Log. Log. Sorry. (laughs) And transmission.